Last week's episode with a little Twitter love from the NBA legend Mark Jackson was one of our most listened to episodes nearly every week of this show. Our listenership has increased. The show keeps growing. Because we did 90s NBA last week, we'll stay and do 90s NBA this week. But first, if you followed me for any length of time, you know I'm not always right, but I'm never, ever wrong. And with that in mind, here are some topical sports thoughts in a segment we call Never Wrong. Rob, play a deep, like, slowed down or, like, pitch down Never Wrong after I say Never Wrong as the title. Here's some topical sports thought in a segment we call Never Wrong. I'm confident that with time, all the thoughts you're about to hear will be proven absolutely correct because I am never wrong. Number one, TCU got beat in the national championship game by 150 points. A major, major problem I have with college sports is the extremely high potential for absolute atomic bedshitting. TCU got to the national championship game. They're all gassed up, ready to take on the world, and they shit inside their beds. It happens. I don't blame them. Here's the thing these traditional sports channels won't tell you. The TCU Horned Frogs was made entirely up of college kids. And college kids fuck up shit all the time. Case in point, when I was a college kid, I left my window open overnight and I woke up the next morning and I'm not kidding. There had to be, and I'm I'm saying this conservatively. 400 ladybugs on the ceiling and that's a minimum i think there's a real chance it's twice that number a veritable infestation this is all true so do you know what i did i started hitting them with a magazine which is the thing companies used to sell and they put pictures in them and articles and things anyways i'm whacking ladybugs and some of them are flying and they're like relocating all over the room and i'm realizing much like the magazine industry over the past 10 years This magazine isn't working. I need something that can wipe these things out in droves. So naturally, I grab the Lysol. I'm spraying Lysol at hundreds and hundreds of ladybugs. And let me tell you, they are dying. I'm not proud of it. If someone is listening to this from PETA and you want to get me in trouble, I get it. I deserve it. I was a stupid college kid. So if you don't know, the smell of like 50 dead ladybugs is like this like nutty this like gross nutty smell (laughs) imagine like it's like old nuts and then like and then like bug guts picture that already very strong pungent smell and add on top of it the very very extremely very strong smell of crisp linen lysol disinfectant and i'm not even like i'm talking about unloading this can like it's a goddamn fogger. So it's this ladybug smell plus 19 ounces of hospital grade aerosolized cleaner hanging in the room like a storm cloud. And there's hundreds of dead bugs all over the floor. There's like carapaces and dead bug bodies. And it's just a disaster. The room is a disaster. And the point of this is all college kids are dumb and they hurt sports. Number two, Damar Hamlin, get better soon. I'm glad you're alive. I'm glad you're with us. Keep getting better. It's amazing news. That kickoff return from the Bills on the first playback, I mean, that's a real contender for the first ballot Hall of Fame. It's hard to do a podcast on that right now because a good amount of what made that play so amazing was the fact that a guy almost died just before it. Keep getting better, Damar and Buffalo. If you win that Super Bowl, we have to come back to this play. Number three, speaking of coming back to a real contender, How about that ring around the rosy play for the Chiefs against the Raiders? 
I do not know what that was. I have no idea what that was or why they did it. But on the surface, it felt very, very disrespectful, which you know we like here. Win the Super Bowl, Chiefs, and we'll talk. Number four, the NBA is wide, wide open. Probably more open than I've ever seen it before. That plus the prize of Victor Wembanyama in the balance, somebody's going to do something crazy before the trade deadline. I'd keep my eye on the last week of this month. Some front office exec is going to remake their team by having the guts to pull off a flashy Kawhi uh, Toronto-style move. It is coming. That's it. Let's tell the story of our moment. April 12th, 1997, the Knicks' Buck Williams and Miami's Alonzo Mourning get into a fight over an offensive rebound. Alonzo shoves Buck. Buck returns. The team separates. P.J. Brown shoves Ewing into a crowd. Jamal Mashburn grabs Charles Oakley, which makes him lash out like a Wolverine. Oakley puts his hand on Mashburn's throat. He walks up behind Mourning and shoves him in the back. Ewing grabs P.J. Brown. P.J. shoves Pat. Morning and Buck are both tossed from the game. One month later, the Knicks and Heat would meet in the playoffs. Game five with the Knicks down 12, less than two minutes left in the fourth quarter. Charles Oakley lays out Tim Hardaway on a screen. Morning comes over and chucks Oakley with his shoulder. Oakley shoves Morning. Alonzo puts his hand around Oakley's throat. Oakley is clearly seen yelling, do it, do it to Alonzo. Then as PJ Brown puts his finger in Chris Child's face, Oakley slaps Alonzo and he's tossed. On the ensuing free throws, Charlie Ward dives at PJ Brown's knees. PJ picks him up and flings him into the photographer, ragdolls him. Ward, PJ, and John Starks, for some reason, are all thrown out of the game. All of the Knicks who were left on the bench as part of that melee were suspended for the following game. The Knicks would go on to lose that series despite having a 3-1 lead. These two teams hate each other. First round of the playoffs the very next season, 1998. Heater up two games to one. Game four, the Knicks are up 90-85 with less than five seconds left in the game. John Starks is ready to dribble out the clock, except Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning, who hate each other, get into a huge fight. In an attempt to prevent more playoff suspensions in a Nick Heat playoff series, the Knicks head coach Jeff Van Gundy did what I've never seen any coach do, professional or amateur, ever before. He runs under the court and grabs onto the leg of a 7-foot, 300-pound man. This is the Van Gundy leg fight on first battle. Welcome back to First Ballot, the podcast that celebrates the moments in sports that really matter and inducts them into the First Ballot Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Neil, the long-lost Gasol brother, the Apple podcast, Alan Houston, coming to you live from the Shaquille O'Neal office depot, big and tall executive suite desk chair that a lot of people are very jealous about. It's like a goddamn cockpit chair. Today's episode of First Ballot could be sponsored by Donruss Trading Cards. Is Donruss still a thing? I'm not certain. Let's hope so. Donruss Trading Cards, the progenitor of the Rated Rookie. The Rated Rookie card, not just a great idea. The design of that little logo was fucking bananas. So good. My guess, you've not been introduced yet. I do hear you laughing. You've not been introduced, so don't say too much. But can you remember a great or your favorite Rated Rookie card as a kid? 
the number one thought I have in my mind is Delino de Shields, wow. but, but I I might be wrong about if he was actually part of that group. <laughs> Ring the bell, Delino de Shields. Whether he was or he wasn't, a great name to mention on this uh, on this podcast. I love great names, Delino de Shields. I'm going to Google it very quick as we're do, rated rookie. Delano DeShields, rated rookie, absolutely the red background. A great answer. <laughs> I think Greg Jeffries might have been mine. Uh, that was like peak like baseball. I was like, holy shit, I can get the Greg Jeffries when I've seen it in packs. I'm going to get it. I'm going to buy it. It'll be an investment. I'll sell it someday. Uh, I also remember Bo Jackson's on black with like that gold band of gold baseballs mm. behind it. Just really great design work i appreciate you don russ anyways don russ you want to really give your sport card industry a jolt in the fucking arm come advertise with your boy right here on first ballot the van gundy leg fight is of course a powerful sports moment but is it a first ballot hall of famer well that's what we have to decide here today and here to do it with me is a very special guest i followed him for years back when he was but a part-time blogger for Yahoo's Ball Don't Lie. He did that for almost nine years. Good God. Can you imagine anyone liking you in a in a job for nine years and keeping you around? That's fantastic. Then he moved on to the ring where he worked for 40-plus years as a staff writer. Can you imagine working anywhere for four years? I'm tipping my hand here. And now he has made his mighty return to Yahoo, but this time as a senior national NBA writer. It's the wonderfully talented Dan Devine. Dan, thank you for being on the show. Neil, it's my pleasure. I'm so glad to be here to be able to do this with you. When you when you suggested this idea and you were thinking, what can we talk about? I was like, man, I hope he suggests a five foot eight hundred and fifty-five pound guy <laughs> clinging for dear life in some capacity. I didn't know what it was gonna be. A jockey, uh, you know, so I'm not sure what it was gonna be. And then we came through in the clutch, and I'm looking forward to this very, very much. <laughs> How tall are you, uh, Dan? How much do you weigh? Are you in about that ballpark? You in that Jeff Van Gundy ballpark? I'm like a Van Gundy and a half, and like, uh, but oh, uh, right. oh, but only like a, like an inch or two above it. So yeah, like, yeah. I, I'm I, I sort of expanded. I'm more of a Stan Van, really right. body type wise. <laughs> I appreciate it either way. Uh, holy shit, Dan! Senior national NBA reporter. Can we list some names and some national NBA reporters? Let me let me go through some. I think they're all these are all these guys all plot. David Aldridge. Pete Vesey, Kornheiser, Wilbon. Of course, it's like, whoa, Shams, Haynes. Is this not what you dreamed about as a kid? <laughs> I think I should be very clear. The title is National NBA Writer. Uh, I, I, I am not uh, I'm not the sourced up, dug in guy like that. Uh, it is not what I imagined. It is not. I thought I was going to be writing like record reviews for spin and the world right. just kind of turns and leaves you in different places. Got it. When you were saying, can you imagine being someplace for nine years? Can you imagine being someplace for four years? You add that up. I've been doing this in some form or fashion for more than a decade. And no, I didn't believe that, certainly. Amazing. I had no idea that would be happening. So uh, the idea that I would be brought back to do it with a senior title is bananas to me. And now I'm going to take all of that like goodwill and that cachet that I've got, and I'm going to put it behind the case for Jeff Van Gundy to wind up in the first ballot hall of fame. <laughs> I, I, I think that makes a ton of sense. No, Dan, 
when you when did you decide you're going to be a writer like when as a kid are you like i'm gonna i want to be a writer really early I, I don't have like a specific memory of you know oh that's something that i want to do for a job but writing in school always made a lot of sense to me in a way that none of the other stuff did right math and science it was sort of like i could make my picture of like the molecule look the way it did on the board right. but right. putting the words together in a yes. way that kind of scratched an itch in my right. head that was always the way it was and then like into high school and you're like oh this is something where you get better grades at it. You can do an English major. You can work at a paper. You could do all kinds of stuff like that. But I thought the path of that was maybe like alt weekly. And then you wind up working at a, a music magazine or right. something like that. Um, that really pivoted to like the independent basketball and sports writing world of the internet and like the early to yes. mid two thousands was kind of like yes. anybody could kind of try to get on. Right. And I yes. just, I, uh, I hit the pocket at a very, very fortunate time in a very, very fortunate way. And I hung on for dear life. <laughs> Good for you. What did you do to supplement your life financially? What did you do so that you could keep doing sort of the part-time blogging and stuff and writing? Uh, it, it was always, or it was from when I, like a year or two out, out of college, that was just like, you know, I was working at bookstores and office jobs and whatever. Mm -hmm. But from there on, it was always something media, but all like small. I worked at a, mm -hmm. I worked at a small newspaper in Boston, Boston's longest running African-American weekly shouts out to the Bay State Banner, uh, in uh, black community news was my start in this business, which Wait, is, and you, oh my God, it is the they, truth. If, Absolutely. If you don't truth. know Dan, Dan, very, very white. Yeah. Like almost like frankly, on. on comfortably white like casper level <laughs> translucence and uh but like yeah I, I got my start there like a literally answering phones opening mail and typing out the publisher's editorials but Amazing. then it, but a job like that you're like it's small team and like you kind of could get in where you fit in so it's right i'm gonna copy edit i'm gonna pick up a, a freelance story here or there and you kind of like build up to go along and then like while i was doing that the stupid amount of hours like 70 80 hours a week you do when you're young and right. broke and just trying to get in on the flips on the side of that, like early hours, late hours, weekends, I was doing the blogging stuff. And eventually that stacked up into something. Amazing. When do you allow yourself to go? I want to be like, this is what I want to do. And like, I want to do this at the highest level I can get to. Like, when, when does that sort of click in? You're like basketball. I love basketball. It's going to be my thing. At what point along your sort of career trajectory do you decide this is what I'm going to do? I mean, I think it was that when there was a point where with the trajectory trajectory of ball don't lie that blog it was mm -hmm. J.E. Skeets was the, was the first sort of big editor of it. He wound up going to do the basketball Jones, turned into the starters, turned into right. now no dunks with the athletic crew. Right. And he kind of was like, I'm going to go do this, this audio show is my main thing. Trey Kirby, our, our man, our beloved friend, former guest yes. of the show. Yes, um, absolutely. Uh, he took over as the editor and was like, I think I want you to freelance a little more. Let's see if we can get you in. He went to go be part of that podcast collective too. Kelly Dwyer takes over and is like, I think I want you to do a little more. And it kind right. of just became like, it was like a little, your foot's in the door a little mm -hmm. more, a little more. Mm -hmm. And then like, once you look at it, it's a couple of years and you're writing a, a bunch of times a week and you now have a bunch of clips up. You're like, this is actually possible in a real way Amazing. that it wasn't before. And even so that took me like three or four years to get to a place where there was a full-time offer. But then it's like, once that was real and they said it was uh, February of 2012, you can do this as a full-time job. Ugh. Then I was like, well, now I got it. <laughs> now I have to make sure I don't have to do anything else. I have to right. do this until they tell right. me I can't do it no more. That's so great. That's, um, I, I just, um, I can imagine a world where like, if you love basketball and I love basketball, but you cannot play basketball at a professional level. You start going, yeah, I mean, I can look at you, Dan. Listen, I, I can tell. 
you start going, what can I do? That's in, I mean, honestly, most people just go forget it. Like mm-hmm. it's done. Like I like basketball, I'll watch it, but like I'll never be able to be close to it or work in it, et cetera. And this is like a job that I think a lot of us fans of the sports can look at and go, my God, that's like a dream job. And you do it. You do it. <laughs> you have it. That's so amazing. National NBA writer. What does what does that mean? Can you tell us? I feel like well, I don't know anything about the job. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you have to do, how much you have to write. So tell me a bit about the job and what it actually means. Like, can you go to any game you want to go to and sort of get a credential for it and go to the game for free? How does this work? Tell me about the perks. The perks, yeah. Uh, I don't get tickets, but I probably could go to just about any game I wanted to for free. So long, Ugh. so long as there is an empty seat in the press in the uh, the, the press seats. I could probably get in. Um, Unbelievable. It's what that's one of the benefits of being at a bigger spot like Yahoo Sports or like uh, the Ringer when I was there. Um, what it means basically is I, I you're a jack of all trades, master of none on the league. I don't know as much about every individual team as the beat right. writers or as the bloggers right. who are the podcasters who cover them every day, day in and day out. I have to know a little bit about everybody all the time, and yeah. to be able to write something of interest or something compelling about pretty much every team in the league at a given time. But for the most part, it's like if something goes down, like trade happens, I need to be able to break that down, like why right. that matters, what the point is, right. the numbers of it, the, the the money of it, the rotation of it, what it does to a team's offense and defense, yada, yada, yada. Basically within like two hours, I've got to be able to knock all that out. So it's me. it really appeals to me because I like I grew up loving one specific team that we will talk about today. But <laughs> as my fandom and as my career kind of developed, it turned into like I love knowing a little bit about everybody and trying yeah. to learn about what I don't know about. Right. So then right. having that broader view has kind of d- worked n- not very nicely into what wound up being my actual gig. Got it. That's amazing. OK, I have a bunch of follow ups. <laughs> the playoffs are happening. Can you the 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 I don't know the Heat and the Hornets are playing. I have the foggiest idea. All right, can you contact one of those teams and go? I'm go- I want to go to this game, and they'll go. Yep, there's room. You can come to this playoff game. Playoffs are a little bit trickier sometimes, but okay. but but often, yeah. If you're like, yes. I'm going to be in town, or I'm tra- I'd like to travel with this series. I want to make sure right. I'm, I'm around with you guys. They usually are pretty cool with that because. They understand the relationship. Most teams, maybe not the team that we'll talk about today, understand the relationship <laughs> between the uh, the media and the and the league and the partnership aspect of that. Like, if I want right. to show up and I want to write about Heat Hornets, for example, Charlotte is going to be like, we don't maybe get national looks all that often. Right, so this right. might be a good opportunity right. for us to get our guys a little more right. light. So right. there's an there's an opportunity there, and there's a way to do that job in a way you're like, I'm not in the tank for those for those guys, but I might be able to open some eyes and some doors and uh, make it work for everybody. If you go, so if you go to your bosses at Yahoo and go, I want to go to this Chicago bulls playoff game. And, and the bulls have already said they have a ticket that I can sit in press row. I can sit there. Not a ticket. I can sit there at the press who pays for the ticket. How do you get there? Well, I get there. I mean, the flight would be paid for by my company if they are cool with me going. If they're oh, here, we go. <laughs> if they're cool with me going, the ticket is not actually a ticket because there's media seating that they set aside. Right, right, so it's right, not right, like right. I'm taking a seat away from a paying fan. Right, 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 right. But the the you you the the very beginning point that you said, like I go to my editors and I say I want to do this. <laughs> the first thing they say to me is probably Vinny Goodwill's in Detroit, so he's probably going to go. It's a closer trip for him, and it's yeah. le- it's it's a no, no, no. Yeah, that's not. We're not. No, no, no. This isn't about Vincent Goodwill. Well, he doesn't get, <laughs> I want Dan Devine at that game. No, no, no. I appreciate what you're saying. 
no, that's amazing though that that it you can I mean, if you could make the argument, and again, that's everybody's you know lot in life. If you got a job, you got to make the argument. You got to figure out, and that's an important thing for everybody to learn. You got to figure out how to get what you want. That's my that's my uh, word word for the wise today. You got to learn how to get what you want. But if you can make the argument, then they put you up, they fly you out there. That's fantastic. I mean, imagine a job. Think think about your goddamn job, whoever you are sitting at home. Think about your job. You got to, you know, make the donuts, whatever it is. You're working hard. This guy gets to go to his bosses and be like, I want to go to this game. I should cover it for reasons X, Y, and Z. And they go, great. And they put you on a plane, put you in a hotel. You get to go to a basketball game, watch it, and then write about it. That's a blast. You what are, a blast. It is absolutely wonderful. You are putting me in a position <laughs> where, though, I'm going to have to, like, unpack my knapsack of my privilege. And I feel like maybe this is not the best avenue for that but yeah, listen you're right i the I, ever as the the end of the year the start of the year is a time where a lot of people wind up going like oh what did i do this year and sort of you, you start counting your uh your bylines and also your blessings right. and right. every uh, i've been fortunate enough now this is 10 years of doing it full time a little more than that of doing it at all uh i do not take for granted that it is something that i get to do or that the doing of it puts me in positions to do stuff like have this conversation with you today right well, my gosh, the, that's nice of you to say. The, and, and I appreciate you acknowledging your privilege and I have privilege as well. And, and, and I, we're not going to we're not going to solve that issue now. To me, I'm sort of bringing all this up and talking about this because to me, you were a guy on the Internet that I like followed. <laughs> And now you're a national. I mean, I don't mean to dismiss you, no, no, but you were just a guy on the internet. You're you were just like a, a fucking guy. You were. You were just some dude with the glasses and the beard, and you like wrote well, and you were funny from time to time, and that's why I followed you. I was just like entertained by you and what you said about the game. And now you've become a national NBA writer, and I just think people should look at that and 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 derive any sort of inspiration that they can from it. Obviously, you know, and and again, he tells the story of having to work in. In, in restaurants and, in you know, uh, uh, taking dictation and answering phones. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. And, and I, I feel like the story of how people got to these positions that are beloved and cherished and desired, I think it's important for people to hear them and, and for, for people to take stuff from it that they, they can use in their own lives. So I appreciate you, you telling your story. It's amazing. That's Well, that's wonderful. But I think also we should point out, I'm pretty sure the reason you wound up liking me or following me is because... I said something nice about Andrew Bynum in like 2011. <laughs> I think that's what it was. And you were like, finally, somebody Listen. sees that Andrew Bynum is good. <laughs> you mentioned, that's the other thing I want to follow up on. You mentioned having to know everything or a little bit about everyone. I know nothing about most people, but I know a lot about the Lakers. That's right. like my bag. And it's all I care about. I have more or less – I haven't stopped watching the NBA this season, but very early on I realized that the Lakers were going to be bad. A lot of times I did not want to see it. I right. cut the cord on cable, so I'm like strictly streaming now. So it's I'm like I'm like pirating signals on the internet and stuff to, <laughs> to watch games. I'm doing it. I'm watching. I'm paying attention, guys. Get off my ass. But I'm not like watching as much of the game as I have previously. I'm also recording a weekly podcast that you all get for free. God damn it. Who are you fighting with? <laughs> Who are you in an I, argument I, with right now? I'm just imagining someone really looking down their nose at me. No. So the, the question here this is my long preamble to the question. And the question is, tell me about a young player that you look at that you go, this guy's going to be 
an awesome piece of a contender somewhere down the road that I don't know because, again, I have been watching. Because, again, AD got injured. I'm not thrilled with the team they put around him. It's a long story. (laughs) No, no, I totally understand. So uh, I'll use this as a a ruthless plug for something that I wrote a little while ago. I had to write uh, the most interesting thing about the, the worst teams in the NBA. And so it's kind of like, it is exactly the the point of the national gig, right? Right. No one's watching these guys unless they love this team. So what is one thing to know about them? The guy I came away with most sort of excited about or impressed in that whole process was Devin Vassell in San Antonio on the Spurs. Yes. So I saw, I saw, I'm so sorry. I've answered you this question. I've jumped in. I, what I do a lot, this is like really like terrible. I will watch a play, like a highlight reel, and if I see a particular highlight, a particular moment, I go, whoa, 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 that's like a pro move. That's like for real. I saw some clip, I think it was like a summer league clip, or maybe it was even a college clip of Devin Vassell, or however the hell you say his name, and I saw him do one move, and I went, I'm going to write that guy's name down, and I've not seen him play since, but I did see that one play and wrote his name down, and it's on a little piece of paper right here by my computer. The point with Devin Vassell is there are times where you watch the shot creation now. He had none of it coming out of Florida State. When you watch it now, it's like you squint and there's some Paul mm. George to it. And if, mm. and if I can look at like a six seven six eight wing that can move smooth and get to a step back and get to the rim and yeah. has the length to D up, you're like all of those tools might not wind up making the picture on the package of Paul George, yeah. but they could. And if yeah. they could, then that's the kind of guy you're talking about. That's great. And he plays for the Spurs, yeah. San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, you got to back those Spurs guys. Those Spurs guys don't end up with with dudes like that 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 end up sucking. Any, anytime the Spurs have somebody that's like lingering, you got to go, there's some real potential there. Uh, at least that's what uh, I think. Um, that's fantastic. Let's dive into our moment. We have to decide whether the Van Gundy leg fight is going to make it into the first ballot Hall of Fame. To do that, we have to go through our first ballot Hall of Fame credentials. Those are the categories by which we judge our moment. The first category, the first credential is, as always, analytics. <laughs> we have to go through some of the stats of this game. I Again, I see these moments. Like I feel like everybody, everybody knows this fight. Everybody knows Van Gundy holding on. But like I didn't remember the circumstances whatsoever. Like, for example, I didn't know it was... In a playoff game, mm-hmm. that's I mean that's that's hugely additive to this moment. Let's dive in. Uh, this was a game four. It was uh, Miami was up two games to one at the time. Uh, the Knicks ended up winning this game by five points. Morning, one of the combatants, eleven of fourteen from the field, seventy eight percent, seven of eleven from the line, twenty nine points total, six boards, one block, five fouls in thirty eight minutes. A fantastic game by Alonzo Mourning. Larry Johnson was 5 of 15 from the floor, 8 for 8 from the line for 18 points, 9 boards, 2 assists in 36 minutes. Great games for both of them. Obviously, Mourning had a monster, and for him to get uh, uh, suspended for the next game, uh, really damaging for the Heat. Um, Johnny Starks, Jonathan Starks had a big 17 off the bench for the Knicks. Timmy Hardaway had big 33 for Miami. Uh, the CompuBox punch stats... <laughs> Show that Alonzo Mourning missed two right hands. LJ missed a big right haymaker and then a right-left hook combination. Uh, Mourning did try to get in some slaps. They could have been like a martial arts, like hand parry. I can't really tell. Some flailing by Alonzo there, which I think hurts him in the end. Any thoughts, Dan, on the stats behind this game this moment? 
I mean, I think the, the biggest ones to note are outside of, of course, those CompuBox stats. Um, I believe there's also there was uh, there's Jeff Van Gundy's 40 time. Um, uh, I, right. I checked I checked with the Elias Sports Bureau. They did not have an official number on it. Uh, my hand timer on my stopwatch had about 3.7 for him from the coach's box to Alonzo Morning. So uh, that's the number one number for me. But um, the, of the ones you mentioned, I think the the, the morning numbers are the, by far the biggest deal because then you go into game five, winner take yes. all. Because remember, that's yeah. a five-game first-round series. Yes. You go into the game five, and he's not there. And so then they're yes. like, what are we going to do? You know, P.J. Brown's going to play like 48 minutes. We got to try to figure out how we're piecing together our front line. Um, and it's that one of the big advantages in that series, because remember, Patrick Ewing not available in that series, injured in that right. series. Right. So morning is the like glaring mismatch yes. in yes. that series. Now, both of the all-star big men are off the board. And that for a guard heavy Nick team, that kind of like tilted things in their direction a little right. bit more. So the, the that morning's big game in game four then you remove that from the lineup for game five. I think that's the big sort of like statistical minus that, that yes. results from this position. I don't remember anything about this season. <laughs> I don't remember anything about this game. Would the, I mean, I feel like, I mean, you just said it was a, uh, let's assume a world where Pat and Morning are both healthy and playing in game five. Who had the better team? Did Miami have the better team? Were the Knicks because the Knicks end up winning? Was that a big deal? I don't remember. Yeah, well, I mean the the Heat were uh, they were fifty five and twenty seven that year. Like they were awesome. Oh, I see. So they they're the number three seed in the East behind Chicago and Indiana. So like, got it. They won the uh, the Atlantic Division. The Knicks were you know barely only a couple games above five hundred that season. So pure talent level and pure you know uh, uh, championship equity uh, for to you know as, as that phrase might go. Like the Heat were consider we're heavy favorites in that in that series um so i think you know if you're going in at full strength you would have leaned a, pretty heavily in their direction and so then but that's like the the uh the nature of the, all those heat next year uh, the, uh, the games the series those matchups everything was just a freaking slugfest it was the fight and they live right like yes. uh, they, so <laughs> overall talent level kind of only mattered but so much and then when an actual fight impacted the uh the proceedings uh you kind of like threw all of those statistics and stuff out so it, it it feels like I mean obviously it affected this series clearly it affected this series Zoe not being there in the middle game five Knicks go on to win as the six seed which again I didn't I didn't know and of course I missed it as I was doing research uh, <laughs> did as that can who did the Knicks play in the second round do you know actually off the top of my head I don't so give me one second I don't well, uh, I'm such they, a bad, no no this is, this is well this is my it's my fault I'm the one who's, who brought the moment and here no. I am not having it uh <laughs> it is they play the Pacers in the second round they lose to the Pacers in that second round series it's one of the uh the the winning time series um were, right were the Pacers what seed were the Pacers that year do you know I believe they were number two they were they were they were awesome that year there was like a 50 a 58 win Pacers team and and who wins that uh was 98 was then the Bulls won Oh, so it doesn't ultimately. That's what I was trying to get to. This is my long-winded way of going. Is there any is there any way? Is there any path to this fight affecting the finals in the champion? And the answer is no, because no, Michael because, Jordan would have. Been yeah, uh, the, if they get past the Pacers, then they're looking at a sixty-two win Jordan Bulls team, and right, you know, right. uh, one the one truism, like absolute, un, you know, inarguable truth of my youth was that the next season is going to end at the hands of Michael Jordan if he's there. So God damn, that's cold. That's, it's not man. great. It's not, maybe explains a lot about why I am the way that I am today. But. 
<laughs> you brought up uh, 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 Ben Osborne uh, before we started recording. <laughs> ben was just on the last episode. You brought up him his his ruthless and un- unprovoked attack on John Starks. The thing that the reason I'm bringing up Ben here is because Ben did say something that made me go gulp. And he went, the Knicks, Knicks fans have nothing. So something like that Starks dunk is huge. And I sort of went, God damn, he's kind of right. I, as I look at this fight, and as I think about you going, the Knicks were going to lose to the to the Bulls. Their, you know, their playoff run was going to be ended by Jordan at some point. And I'm looking at this fight. I'm kind of going, what are the great Knicks moments that you have as a fan? Can you name like great Knicks? Like what are the great Knicks moments uh, of your life? All right. I mean, like it's too little too early to start drinking, man. Like this is not super <laughs> fair. Um, this, so the Stark stunk is one of them. It is one of my favorite moments of like just being a young fan ever. <laughs> Um, there is well, Ben Osborne thinks it's bullshit. Well, he's well, Ben Osborne. Listen, Ben ran slam for 55 years. He's allowed to say whatever he wants to say. I'm not going to argue with Ben Osborne. God damn it. But, uh, but, uh, that, you know, that was a big one of them. Honestly, I mean, the, the, uh, Houston, uh, sort of runner to beat the heat and win that playoff series was a big one of those. Uh, right. for them. a lot, there's a lot of admittedly earlier in the playoffs, uh, yeah. kind of, kind of, series. Like, the, but <laughs> the fact that, and, and like the, the, one of the bummers is that the, uh, it's not a great moment, but the most memorable one of course is them going down in game seven to, uh, to Houston, them losing to the Rockets right. in that 94 right. finals where it looked like they had a chance and Starks going, I think it was two for 16 or two, like, yes, like having just yeah. that brutal game. The thing, the reason I bring that up is because I, whenever John Starks' name comes up, I must rush to his defense like Jeff Van Gundy running into the fray. <laughs> if anybody else shows up in game six against Houston, the Knicks win the fucking right. finals in right. six because Starks went nuts in game six. Nobody yeah. else was there to have his back. He got the, the uh, blocked three-pointer off the fingertip yeah. of Akeem to stop yeah. that. But anybody else shows up, then Starks is like the man being carried yeah. through the Canyon of Heroes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Starks will always have a place, a large place in my heart. Like when the Grinch's heart grows and bursts the thing out of my chest, that's what I think about with John Starks. So I understand Ben Osborne's point, but also fuck that point. (laughs) That's so you look at that. Do you look at that game seven, the Knicks losing to the Rockets? Do you look back at that fondly? Like, do you go, man, they were so close. It was a great run. It was such a fun team to watch. Like, do you have fond memories of that? ending obviously they lost right like do you look back on that experience as like a good one like a fun one i look back on that experience as a with fond memories of what it was to root for a team that mattered in that way and that had a defined identity that you could like you could give somebody an elevator pitch on what the Knicks were. They beat the shit out of you. Patrick's really good. And you hit some threes sometimes. That was kind of it. Like they're going to lock you up. One guy is awesome. And everybody else is pretty good. And like the Knicks of the last 20 odd years, basically since Jeff Van Gundy left uh, in the early uh, 99, 2000, like, they have not had that consistent identity or that consistent yeah. success or anything that was sort of built upon. So the fondness that I look back at is not like they got so close and that felt good, mm-hmm, but like mm-hmm. that you knew you had something mm-hmm, to believe in and mm-hmm, to build and right. to like invest your energy into as yeah. a fan. And like, so when, when people even now, you know, as you look at the Knicks now, no one thinks the Knicks are going to like win a championship with this iteration of the team under Tom Thibodeau, but 
the idea of having like a multiple year uh, building process that has like a defined goal right, and right. identity and talent right. base to grow. Like, I think there's like when people sort of dismiss that and say, yeah, but like they're going to be middling and it's not going to be that good. Yeah, I'm yeah, like yeah. rooting for a Knicks team that plays defense and plays hard. Like, honestly, for a lot of fans, that's kind of all you fucking want. So oh my God. when I think that, yeah, no, we, right. Listen, we beaten. you're a beaten team. We don't you're have a beaten fan base. Neil, we don't have Hollywood. We have cold weather and Tim's. That's what we have. <laughs> so we want to deploy those to make people feel bad. What's that? What's that? Uh, when you fall in love with your captor, what's that? Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm yes. syndrome. Yeah. You guys have Stockholm syndrome. That's brutal. <laughs> Terrible to hear. No, it's lovely that you can do that. It's lovely that you can look back at that team and think that way, because I look at like those 08 Lakers. Like this is like the, you know, the Lakers are, which is my favorite team. I'm the, not the biggest Lakers fan. I am the best Lakers fan. The, 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 I, you know, obviously my team is my, my history and my, my sporting basketball history is littered with championships and great moments. And I, I can't, I can't pick the best. There's so many. I look back like the closest analogy is like the, those 08 Lakers who, uh, you know, are coming up through sort of those Kobe green light years. Uh, Shaq has left. Uh, they're, 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 you know, Bynum is, as you mentioned early on, Bynum is becoming a guy. Odom is sort of finding his path with, with Kobe. Uh, uh, Powell shows up. I sort of look at that 08 Lakers team and go, I should enjoy them because no one expected them to be that good. No one expected them to be in the finals. But that championship to the team that we will not mention, that if you mention, as we're discussing this, I will have Rob Sensor. Rob, get on the sensor <laughs> button. That is by far and away the lowest moment of my NBA career. I cannot think of that year or that season in any positive regard or light whatsoever. I have never seen the second half of game six. I left. I've never seen it. I see that goddamn interview from, from KG yelling about anything as possible. It, it makes my blood boil. I that I hate, I loathe that other team i hated that year and i will not look at it ever again with any sort of like hey they did i can acknowledge that they did better but i was devastated and i hate that team i hate all those teams from the nba that season i hate that my team because they let me down and i hate all the rest of them because they're jerks (laughs) i do understand that i think that if you did not have, as you said, like the uh, glittering history riddled with banners <laughs> and championship uh, glory, uh, you might wind up, as you look in retrospect, thinking like, I I need to sort of derive joy where I can and like right. trap it in amber <laughs> and have it. And so honestly, it, it's like a, a little bit of a pivot. But one of the weirder like regrets I have as a Knicks fan and also as like a professional doing this as a job is that I didn't enjoy the uh, the, the, the the 154 win Knicks season where like Mello went off and right. they made, you know, they won. They, yeah, beat this, yeah, yeah. they beat that team. You don't want me to say their name of in the yes, first round of the thank playoffs. You. Thank um, you. And they were good in like a really surprising way. Jr. Yes. wins six man mm-hmm. of the year. Like yes. they're really good. And but it was it was my first full time season. And I was like, right. I will be an impartial and professional yes. journalist. Dis- <laughs> dispassionate observation of this team. And uh and then, like, also, here's all the reasons why I'm not sure the analytics are going to line up on this in the long run. And the Pacers, they, they're a better matchup in round two. And, like, now, uh, whatever, a decade later or eight years later, you're like, 
that was so dumb because that was like the last time to have fun. I could have had fun that time and I could have like enjoyed <laughs> in, enjoyed the process of watching those games a lot more. Uh, like there's no reason to not enjoy it while it lasts. But again, I'm coming from the perspective of somebody who's like, I don't know if I'm ever going to see a parade. I don't know if I'm ever going to see a championship oh my God. as opposed to I've seen, I'm sure, you know, I, you've, you've seen limitless championships in your life. You've taken, <laughs> taken the Bradley Cooper pill and stuffed championships into 100% of your brain. I don't have that. So I'm taking to, to extract whatever joy I can from wherever I can extract it. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that I'm a Lakers fan. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, our next credential is the eye test. Dan, what did you see in this moment? What did you see in this video that may help push this moment into the first bell hall of fame? There's a lot. There's a lot to go through. I'm going to toss it to you, and I ha I'm hoping I have something that you didn't notice. All right. Well, first thing is you just remember the the nature of fashion at the time. We are this is this is before <laughs> you you are at the current day of like coaches just wear polos and quarter zips right. and stuff. Yes. And so Jeff Van, zips. Jeff Van Gundy is just is wearing like essentially a David Byrne suit. It is like yeah. it is the largest suit. He it's, huge. it's gigantic. He looks like it's like he had to go to a funeral and his older brother is like, I don't know, here. And uh, and so like seeing that right away, I was like, oh, my God, look at the size of that suit, uh, which I, I did a little pre pro on this. It led me to search out. Search out some quotes. So this is uh, the New York Times from after the suspensions and after everything oh, happened. This is great. I really appreciate you doing this. Keep uh, going. His wife, Kim Van Gundy, quote, <laughs> that's OK. We've heard them all from he looks like a funeral home director to the comments about the dark circles under his eyes. One of the papers ran a fashion comparison between Pat <laughs> Riley and Jeff making fun of Jeff's suits because they're bought off the rack. I mean, <laughs> I I mean, this is the guy I've gone out with since I was 15 years old. It hurts for a lot of reasons, but mostly because, well, I buy his suits. <laughs> so the first thing that jumps out to me is... Is that real? That is a real quote. I will share the link to you and you can have it in the show notes if you want. But that is an absolutely real quote from a New York Times story. Unbelievable. They, imagine that. Like, it's not just you are in the middle of this sort of national conflagration. The oh, New York times calls your wife to talk about your rumpled God. ass. And she's like, I got all the time in the world to talk to you about this. That, this is out. This is outrageous. It's also outstanding <laughs> that you found this. Is this, hold on another follow-up. Is this, I'm like a reporter, by the way, I could be like a great national. <laughs> you reporter. would be very good. <laughs> Do you, did this is post that fight? Is that when this quote came up? Unbelievable! This is for, it's, it's the aftermath of the fight, so it's like the day of the day after, or the tech, or two days after May third, nineteen ninety eight is the, is the, the pub date on this. So they go to your wife. Mm hmm. It's they're talking. That's I can't even believe this is real. It's honestly that was so that quote was so perfectly funny that you could have convinced me that you wrote it as like an <laughs> oniony type thing. No, listen, I I don't I don't have the chops for that. No way. That was it was straight from Kim Van Gundy's mouth. The second thing that made it special to me that I noticed in this, in the watching it is who is holding Jeff Van Gundy back after everybody gets separated. Do you did you know this? Oak Charles Oakley, the fightingest yeah. guy who ever fought everybody, <laughs> is the one holding back five foot eight, hundred and sixty pound Jeff Van Gundy, being like, "Chill." <laughs> 
and the 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 the, uh, the inversion of tropes there made me so happy to see. Like, uh, you kind of you can't really see in the video or in the the the, the recap that I saw, but a couple of the stories that I read about it reference a, a grinning Oakley that he was sort of smiling about <laughs> right. the situation, and you're like, I you know, Oakley's whatever, 38 years old at that point, been through everything, and you have to imagine he's like, well, this is not something I had on my bingo card that we were going right. to be doing this today, <laughs> and uh, so that I enjoyed that very much that he's the like. Uh, everybody, he's the he's the get back coach. He's the guy getting everybody to chill out. Amazing. I, the, the top of my list. This moment is massively helped by how nerdy Jeff Van Gundy looks. It's incredible. It's, his, it's in, and I mean you you nailed it. And it's something that I didn't list here. I do have that his hair is ve- it's very funny. Like his hair is very additive here. To think about it's like one thing. Like what, imagine. I'm trying to think of like a good looking guy. Benjamin Bratt, super good looking guy. I saw Benjamin Bratt crossing 49th Street in, in Midtown. It was like there was a goddamn spotlight on him. <laughs> Golden, beautiful guy, really super good looking. Benjamin Bratt. If your coach looks like Benjamin Bratt and he's holding onto your leg, I, it's not as funny. True or false? Firmly agree. And there is a moment, <laughs> a moment, a few camera cuts after, because obviously the moments after it all goes You're about down, to say it. Go ahead. Please keep going. He. After he's all chilled out, he kind of like slicks yes! his hair back. He kind of like tries to fix his hair. And the only analog I can give is Big Earn McCracken at the end of Kingpin. It is Bill Murray <laughs> trying to like comb it back over the top. Right. And it's like the idea that in this moment he is going, all right, keep your composure, Jeff. Like, yes. let's cool it yes. down. Yes. And kind of like slicks yes. it back over. <laughs> it's just, it, it's, it was, mwah, it was too perfect. You 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 nailed the exact moment. I was transfixed by this shot. It's a beautiful shot from the arena camera, and they're like the the people the people in the frame move just out of the frame enough to where it is so perfectly framed on Jeff Van Gunny in the middle. This guy was just on the floor getting dragged around by a seven foot dude, and he flips his hair back and crosses his arms. And you're and it's and the, the you're right. The thing you mentioned that the jacket is so ill fitting. It makes him look even smaller than he is that the jacket doesn't fit. Like he is like a perfect n- nerd loser getting dragged around in this game. It's his, the way he looks has never mattered more than when Alonzo Mourning is dragging him around by his, his own foot. That's just, just amazing. It's so much fun. I think it's like, you couldn't pick, you couldn't put together a better David versus Goliath uh, and then to like have that said against like, oh, this is actually there's real consequences here. But even in the real consequences of it, like like the, the call co- sort of quickly goes to like and they will be so they won't be playing right. in game five. But even in that, it's like the camera can't prevent the comedy of the moment from yes. shining through. And you're absolutely yes. right. It is dead center. It is like Wes Anderson symmetry. Right. He's in yes. the middle of the frame. Like <laughs> it is the only thing you should be paying attention to right now. Uh, and and so to where like as you, you were mentioning earlier. The, the you know the the statistical component of it who wins the series like so much of that gets lost to time but the pictures of Van Gundy are just seared into your brain. He that that's uh, the Wes Anderson symmetry is so funny. Uh, the I feel like if you were to take like a good looking photo of LJ, and then and I'm gonna do this. I've just decided I'm gonna do this on social media. Uh, go to the the Instagram at first validation app. Good looking first slide of LJ muscles like he's on like a cover of a magazine you know good looking dude alonzo morning greek god mm-hmm. i mean he's he's like a big 
he's like massively big, but he's also muscular, good looking face. And then you swipe and it's Jeff Van Gundy. It's like you'll laugh at just looking at the three of them in order. Not and then think about what they did and what happened in this moment. It's just like a blast. What a lot of fun. I want to break down these two guys as fighters. Mm. Are you a boxing fan, Dan? Uh I would not say I am. I watch. I have watched, but I'm not a fan. So I'm not. I, I'm interested to hear your take on their stances and on how they come together. I think Larry Johnson is a major boxing fan. I watch this and I go, Larry Johnson loves boxing. I can tell. Morning missing that first punch is not by accident. LJ is completely under control. He knows it's coming and he slips it just ever so slightly, just a slight lean back to let that that first punch must miss him within an inch of his face right i mean within two inches tops lg just slips it just a bunch and then is immediately there and ready to throw a punch after it's really nice form morning is he's loading up a ton on his hands Mm -hmm. which i think inhibits him from landing big giant windups his hands are down by his waist he's yanking it back up by his shoulder to throw the punch like he's not gonna hit anybody taking that much time let alone an elite athlete LJ throws a lead right, that first sort of uh, uh, right hook at the end, immediately follows it with that left hand, which is technically nice. Mm-hmm. He's got a good chance of catching a guy if he's you know charging him, and, he, and, and, and Zoe was. He was coming in. He just, nobody ever, it was just all air. Nobody landed a goddamn thing. I'm wondering if this is the difference, if we've hit the difference between Georgetown and UNLV. The the the, <laughs> the familiarity with how to handle yourself in a moment like that right. might be that differential. <laughs> That's a lot of fun. Uh, do you, This is a burning question. Mm. Who won that fight? Who won the fight where no one landed a punch? Who do you believe won the fight? I mean, the Knicks did. Alonzo Mourning didn't wind up playing in go. game five. There you go. <laughs> and Larry Johnson was awesome at, as a Nick, but like that, those eras of those two players, the Knicks won that fight. There, there is also Oakley, as Oakley separates Mourning, he grabs Mourning's throat for a second. A lot <laughs> of throat grabbing, which feels like a very like violent, like very serious thing to escalate. Like if you're trying to de-escalate something and you and you do so by grabbing the guy's throat. That's ah, tough. Also, the other thing I noticed, uh, uh, Charles Oakley kind of just walks straight through Zoe. Like, he takes him yeah. off the fight and really walks him right down. It's it's a little like Steven Adams. Those yep. great clips of, like, Steven Adams just walking through dudes. Yes. Yeah, and that's where you, like, there's a, an aspect of, I know, keep, keep, keep doing movie references, but they keep popping up in my brain. It's like, Pauly moves slow because Pauly didn't have to move for anybody. Like, Charles Oakley doesn't have to run to the fight. Jeff Van Gundy has to run to the fight. When Charles Charles Oakley gets to the fight, then things will proceed in the manner that Charles Oakley wants them to proceed. Jeff Van Gundy's like, I got to get there and make something happen. Uh, and Charles Oakley's like, all right, when I get there, we'll, we'll sort all this out. The next credential is the ear test. What did you hear? I want to play a couple of the, the, the calls here. Vern Lundquist and Doc Rivers, I think it's Vern Lundquist, Vern Lundquist and Doc Rivers on what I presume is the NBC call. Uh, I actually didn't love that call. I thought it was very Mm. pedestrian. There is a moment I want to play from it. We'll get to that in a second. The other one I want to play uh, is, I I can't figure out who, I was watching on YouTube and there was a logo, there was a bug in the corner said UPN. What? 
did I, I'm not joking. I feel like insane even saying it, but it was that logo. If you remember UPN's logo, it was like a circle and a triangle and like a square. Yeah, I think. it looks sort of like a pla- can, like, like a PlayStation logo or something yes, like that. It's in the corner of the footage. Maybe is there? I'm not from New York. Were games telecast like were the local games telecast on a UPN channel here? I don't think so. I mean, I would I would bet. It was like TNT or NBC for the national. And then if there was a local, it would have to be on MSG. But okay, let me play this. I want to play this call for you and let's listen to it together and we'll talk about it. Tell me if you can place these announcers. I cannot. Here they here it is. Game five on Sunday in New York and Alonzo. We're gonna have game five on Sunday in New York and Alonzo Morning and Larry Johnson fisticuffs as the game ends. And Jeff Van Gundy is hanging on to the leg of Alonzo Mourning. I have never seen such a bizarre sight. What a shameful and regrettable way for Game 4 to end. There's been bad blood between Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning for a long time. And that bad blood just simmered over the top. There's still 1.4 seconds left in this game. That has just taken a turn for the bizarre. Great call. It's a really good call. Could that be Ian Eagle? Maybe you're right. It's a very recognizable voice, but I couldn't place it. You're right. That might be a young Ian Eagle. That's nuts. That is a fantastic call. And fantastic. And call. much better. When I was looking on YouTube, I saw, I think, I think it was the TNT uh, coverage. And it was like there, there really wasn't a ton in the call, but then like a little further out, you hear the the field, the court mics pick up somebody screaming, same shit. And I don't yes. <laughs> and, but but we can get to that in a second. The, yeah. I I think that call is like to be able to hit the play by play of it yes. is really impressive. And and that call got to the Jeff Van Gundy of it all faster yes. than the one that I Wait, had seen. That's that, and that's exactly precisely why I played it to identify Van Gundy in that early, which it was a goddamn melee. Like sure. it's a f- absolute fracas. Pull out your best crazy line word for a fight. Use it here. To be able to identify Van Gundy doing that and summarize the entire thing, add sort of a, you know, a step back, you know, a a 30,000 foot viewpoint, bring up the morning uh, LJ feud that's been going on. Just an amazing call. Really good, Iron Eagle. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, to contextualize it in that way, tie it back to me, you know, their time together in Charlotte and, you know, what had gone got, gone on before that. Because I think we tend to think of it. I know my myopic New Yorkers view is like I think about it from the the Knicks heat portion of it and like the Pat Riley jumping ship and that kind of stuff. And then you forget, like, yeah, all of the participants have their own individual points of view right. to it, too. And like so before that. You've got, you know, LJ, I forget which member of the Heat he was kind of scuffling with on an offensive rebound, uh, like about 30 seconds before that. Alonzo Mourning had like tweaked his knee, stepped on Chris Dudley's foot. So everybody's kind of pissed off. And we know we're getting to a game five. That call really got you like, well, A, maybe a little over moralizing to be like, you know, this, you know, disgraceful, regrettable, et cetera, et cetera. But like put a pretty fine point on it as opposed to just being like, I imagine my moment would be like, Oh my God. <laughs> like, totally. Holy cow. Yeah. The, the composure to be like coherent and, you know, thought provoking at best. I mean, I, I agree with you a, a little much to be like despicable or whatever the hell you were to use, but 
to be able in that moment to go, oh, here's my job. I have to tell everybody what's happening, have a take on it. Like just a really amazing, considering it was an it was just a disaster, just a melee. Um, the the Vern Lundquist Doc Rivers call, which again, I said NBC, maybe you're right. Maybe it was TNT. There was a great moment in that. Let's listen to it together. Fortunately for these guys, they are both awful fighters. Doc Rivers, <laughs> great great little and he didn't i can't believe this but like he says that and no one laughs just no one no sells the that. joke oh my god <laughs> yeah i mean just leaves it uh, to me it's either it's one of two things it's either a really like well-delivered joke like dry joke or it's a very funny uh critique of these two guys i mean it's it's very funny and um great delivery you nailed it doc uh, the next credential is our test of time. This is when we have to compare this moment, the Van Gundy leg fight, to other moments like it. Are there any other legendary fights or legendary Van Gundy's going to break this moment up that we can compare this to? Well, so there was one, uh, and I, I don't have the, the tab up in front of me, so you have to forgive me, but there was one a couple of years after this, Van Gundy again winds up like in the fray and Marcus Camby throws a haymaker Marcus at him. Cam That's exactly right. I have it. Do you want to watch it together, Dan? Let's do it. Here we go. Contact. Camby took a, took a shot. Oh, Camby trying to go after uh, one of the Spurs. Oh, Camby still trying to get a furry. Oh, that's a bad move because that will be... That will lead to a suspension. Someone is hurt over yeah, there. He accidentally hit. It's hard for us to tell who was hit. <laughs> it, was, it was Jeff Van Gundy who took the punch. <laughs> how great! How great is that moment? And I, I will be honest, I feel like that was what I was missing in the initial call. It was I'm like, yeah. you just want to hear Marv Albert yeah. delivering the commentary on this. <laughs> I think this, I don't know that when you say compared to other moments, I don't know that I would say that this is a, because it's a, 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 a you know, different sort of, uh, of pitch of the importance of the moment. But I think this elevates the first one. I think this indicates that we're not talking about a guy who lost his like lost his right. cool once right we're talking about a guy who is like either so committed to the team that he's like right. i have to break Ugh. this up and get my guy away from it or such a sicko that he <laughs> that as soon as he sees smoke jumping off he's like i'm in it and like he's just like <laughs> leroy jenkins jumping right in and like, so because what it's like once is, a, you know, it might be an accident and twice is like, now we're getting toward trend territory that Jeff Van Gundy is the kind of guy. I'm not saying you want him on your side in a fight because oh, I don't know, but like I, you wouldn't feel bad knowing that yes. he's, that he's back there. Like he's, if the music starts playing, he's going to start dancing. And I kind of like that for him. Oh, I love this. I love this ad. What a great ad. You're right. It shows this proves that this guy cares. Mm -hmm. He cares. So as you're looking at the great photo from this moment of Jeff Van Gunny holding onto Alonzo Mourning's leg and his face is all scrunched up. If you look at that moment and you look at his face, now look at it and realize he's really trying to do something. So I, I my last bit of pre-pro that I have on this was so one of his assistants 
at the uh, his name is Jeff Nix, N-I-X, but an assistant on JVG staff said, quote, it's not a defining moment, but it's a situation where he was trying to break up a fight and people will remember it. I'm sure it defied a lot of stereotypes about him. So he carried himself in a certain way and he brought with him all the preconceived notions that mm -hmm. everybody else had about him. Mm -hmm. And then when it popped off, He's yeah. in the middle yeah. and he's yeah. hanging on for dear life and it's silly, but I don't think I'm betting it wasn't so silly to those guys in that locker room. Yeah, you're and I you're man, that's a great point. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's probably what leads to as you mentioned earlier on, Oakley trying to break it up trying to save this little dude. Like yes. he must have been like appreciated you being in the middle of that fire. That's a great point. I love that. It kind of makes me you think that's so funny? It's really changing my opinion of Van Gundy, Van Gundy, right here, live in the moment. You think of that moment, and it's like just funny, and it is funny, and he looks funny, and the suit, and the hair, and how little he is, and how tight the face is scrunched up. It's funny, but you're right. That's probably seen in a completely different way by those dudes, and we should as well, obviously, laugh at it. I'm never going to stop you from laughing at Correct. this goddamn thing. <laughs> but to to remember and to realize that this guy really cared. It's, it's very funny to see that little face scrunched up and to think he's got a plan and he's like trying to execute on this plan to stop this thing. It's very funny, but also you're right. It's it's a great moment. It probably showed those dudes that he really cares and he's he's in the foxhole with them. Good job. This is great. The uh, the next credential, we have to keep moving. The next credential, press conference, any great moments. Uh, Jeff Van Gundy, this is years after the fact, did an interview, mentioned two things. One I thought was great, one I don't believe in. The first one, he goes, I understand why a, a, a criminal might plead insanity. And it is. You have to make quick decisions in these moments, and you do it, and then you go, I can't believe I did that shit. Like, I'm not <laughs> saying anybody that's claimed insanity is right and should get away with murder, but I did appreciate him saying that, and I do understand that from, you know, maybe I've been in a fight from time to time before. I, listen, I was a kid. And then the other thing I wanted to mention was, uh, he mentions that uh, a punch from LJ grazed him and helped knock him down to the leg, which a lot of people sort of make the joke that, you know, he comes at he comes at morning high and then ends up on his, you know, hanging onto his ankle. Van Gundy claims that he's hit. That is not the case. I've watched the footage frame by frame. I believe what happens is. Morning pulls his arm back to throw a punch, and I think it pops Van Gundy, and that's what mm. sends Van Gundy to the floor. I just want to clear that up. Uh, I, I don't want to, you know, people can say things in the press and media, and it, you know, it's taken uh, uh, and and becomes canon. That is not what happened. If, any, if you've heard Jeff Van Gundy say that, that is not what happened. I want to be clear about that. <laughs> I appreciate your commitment to the record. I will add a little bit to it, just be, in terms of press stuff. This yes. is uh, after the suspensions are announced and the fines. So Morning gets 20000 for throwing the first punch. LJ gets fined 10000 for responding. Chris Mills of the Knicks left the bench area. He gets suspended and only $2,500 fine. Uh, from, this is from the Washington Post after the suspensions are announced. Quote, Jeff Van Gundy took a verbal shot at Morning after practice tonight, calling him a whiner several times and saying... <laughs> And saying he deserved a suspension of five to 10 games for throwing haymakers. Now, this matters to me because just because the fight's over doesn't mean the fight's over. Right. Jeff Van Gundy is going to keep at your neck because we still got to win game five. And he, and he wants everybody to know 
that this guy's tall and he's big and he's tough, but he's a whiner. He's complaining about the way we play and how physical we are because at the end of the day, he has to communicate the message that we are a tougher team and we're going to win this series. So he's still out in front of the media being like, that guy's a baby. Those guys aren't tough and we're going to win regardless. And I love that Jeff Van Gundy, again, would have been reduced to a pile of dust had any of this connected with him in a more meaningful way is like, and another thing. (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, Let's keep it moving. The next credential is the X factor. Is there an X factor in this moment? So in this moment, I don't have something. I have something from a little bit later. This is great. Summer of twenty of uh, 1999. So this is the year after the following season. They've made the run in the lockout right. shortened season to the finals, right. lose to the Spurs. Uh, he, is, he has survived getting knocked out by Marcus Camby, the whole bit. Um, <laughs> uh, July 99, the Subway Series. It's an uh, interleague play, Yankees versus Mets. Right. And my uh, my family's all Mets fans. We get tickets to go. We get And we're up in, uh, you know, the nosebleeds at Shea and over booming through the PA system is like, now to throw out the ceremonial first pitch, <laughs> head coach of your Eastern Conference champion, New York Knicks, Jeff Van Gundy. And the place, <laughs> I checked the, the attendance, 57 or 54,000 people wow. go ape shit. Like <laughs> Yankees fans, Mets fans, neutrals, whoever. Right, right. Explodes. Ugh. And this like, sh- you know, like accountant of a man just comes out. Van Gundy 99 like he's fucking wild thing on the back of his jersey <laughs> throws out the first pitch and it was the loud I mean maybe not the loudest the whole the whole uh stadium got that was really good Mets team really good Yankees team Piazza versus Pettit all this stuff but my memory isn't about any pitch that was thrown except for that first one and it was about the sound of the of New York responding to uh. Jeff Van Gundy and the reason I bring that up is now maybe a lot of it had to do with just like the freshness of the finals yeah, run yeah, right yeah, and that's yeah, fair yeah. Right. But I don't think Jeff Van Gundy becomes right. who he is yes. in New York, Ugh. if not for this moment. And that's where I, where I will always connect the way that people respond to him to the way he responded to this moment. Ugh. I, what a great ad. That was fantastic. Jeff Van Gundy is where's Jeff Van Gundy uh, born and raised? Somewhere unexpected. I mean, I thought he was from like Westchester, but he's not. Well, same. Uh, hang on, let's find out. Jeff Van Gundy, Wikipedia. This yeah, is good radio. Good. Hemet, California. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. The hell. Exactly. Like, do, you know, none of the, uh, you know, was it like the the Nick Weiger California Surfer Dude vibes. Like, none of that at all <laughs> in this situation. And, uh, but I, so I always think of him as somebody from here. I think because of this stuff and because of the way people yeah. kind of accepted him as, as our own. You're right. I, 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 what I was going to say is you're right. He's like a true New Yorker, like in that moment reacting that way and getting that reception. He's like a true New Yorker, but you're right. He's not a true. New- I mean, he's an accepted New Yorker, which is lovely, but I can't, I sort of thought before I said that, I was like, I wonder if he's actually from New York. Of course I didn't do the research. That, that's a great ad. I love that. The only thing I have comparable to that is, I went to, I believe, I mean, it must have been Knicks Lakers. I usually just spend all my money to go see Knicks Lakers. And that usually happens late January. Mm-hmm. I think it must have been Knicks Lakers uh, just after the Super Bowl. I'm pretty sure it was after they beat the Giants beat the Patriots mm-hmm. and Justin Tuck. They put Justin Tuck up on the Jumbotron. Yeah. And the whole place stood up. And I was like, this is 
awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's like what it's the reason that all those guys go through everything, like to be able to walk yeah. into a room and yes. get that response for yes. the rest of your life. <laughs> what a blast. This is fantastic. Dan, I see our time is running out. The clock is winding down on us. It's almost time for America's favorite podcast segment. It's called more important. Do you know more important, Dan? I do because I, I heard Ben Osborne get the screws put to him on more important. <laughs> This is fantastic. Uh, two people in a row. This is two weeks in a row. Someone knows more important. This is fantastic. Dan, Dan I'm going to ask you a completely fake question. I would like you to act like you're answering this so I can cut you off. <laughs> Are you prepared for more important? I'm going to answer it. <laughs> I'm going to beat you to yeah. it. I'm going to answer it. <laughs> Dan, sports media has become an access game. You mentioned it early on. If you can get the access, you become successful at your job. Maybe you're not the best writer, but if you can get the access, maybe it doesn't matter. How have you, Dan Devine, in your career, either unfortunately helped propagate that access-driven part of this nasty game, or how have you yourself benefited from this phenomenon? Well, an important way to think about this is... Oh, I'm so sorry, Dan! We don't have time for any of that bullshit. <laughs> it's because it's time for something more important. Dan, I'm about to add the music's going. There's a timer. It's counting down. It drives up the pressure. You get it. The, the questions I'm about to ask you uh, are more important than any of the bullshit you've been talking about the last hour. <laughs> and your answers to these questions will define who you are as a human being on this planet. Are you ready for more important? I've never been ready, more ready for anything in my life. What is your favorite beverage uh miller high life oh okay i don't drink beer so it's, it's, it tastes like swill it smells even worse but I, I i appreciate that answer it's a great answer it's a hard answer i feel like miller what'd you say high life high life the champagne and I beers feel, <laughs> i love this what a great answer okay who the next question who has the best looking jump shot there is a follow-up clay thompson oh great you did say steph Curry. you think clay thompson's jump shot is better looking than Steph Curry's? I think like from the base all the way up, it's just oh, like like you would it would it'd be the way like Da Vinci would sketch it. Yeah. Oh, great answer. It's like mechanized. He it's like a it's like you wind him up and then he just does that over and over and over. It's so uniform. You think his jump shot is better than your your beloved Allen Houston? I do. I think Allen Houston is sort of like it's the same kind of species, but I think right. Clay is like the the uh the apex of it. Great answer. I appreciate it. What's your favorite comedy thing? It can be a movie. It can be a TV show, a podcast, whatever. What is your favorite comedy thing? Uh, I have a very specific answer. Here we go. And it is the episode of the Blank Check podcast where the Hollywood Handbook guys talk about Don John, the the Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> I don't Levitt. know this. So they, yes, they, of course. They talk about this movie, and I, I, the I, phrase that's discussed in it is, it's like a slow bomb going off under a career. And the full effects of it are not heard until years later. Oh, my God. It also includes, and I, I forgive me for forgetting, but one of the guys from Hollywood Handbook, I don't know if it was Hayes or Sean, but one of them talking about a bit that they couldn't let go of in talking to somebody. And I was like, well, right. I was so committed to the bit, I had to keep going. Yeah. That includes explaining that the only kind of movie you like is modern noir. <laughs> and 
I have never even watched this movie, but I have listened to this podcast about this movie multiple right. times because it uh, makes me so happy and I laugh so much at it. So what a great specific answer. I hope everyone that's listening to this is running in droves to listen to that podcast. By the way, Hollywood Handbook, it's a great podcast, but I can't wait to listen to this. I've not heard that episode. I'm 100% going to download and listen to it. Fantastic answer. What is your favorite podcast? Oh, shit. The next question. What is your favorite podcast? And you are allowed to say this one. Okay. <laughs> well, obviously, number one is uh, First Ballot. Uh, yeah! And, uh, and then number two is uh, All Fantasy Everything. Uh, Ian Carmel and those guys do a so wonderful good. job. So good. Fantastic. Great answers. I appreciate you saying I really appreciate you saying mine. <laughs> Which modern NBA player is the best interview? Oh man! So uh, going back to the access journalism question that I didn't get, I didn't answer. Uh, <laughs> I have I, I've not done a ton of a ton of like real like I'm in interviewing tons and tons of players. Weirdly, the guy that I had the best time talking to was I can't I can't wait Garrett Temple. Um, so I did I did a feature at the Ringer that was sort of about like what it takes to stick around in the NBA if you're not like a number one guy. Yeah. Like and the the upshot is it's what it takes to stick around in a lot of industries like right. don't be an asshole, do right. your work, show up on right. time, be add, additive. I know it's a word you, right. you you like in this context like bring something to the table uh in in the soft skills kind of ways. And he was like I kind of like woke up I was at lunch with my brother and my dad this summer and was like I kind of like Oh wow, it's been 10 years. Like I went mm. from not playing at like AAU to like 10 years in the NBA because right. I p wanted to play defense and be like the best teammate I could. Mm -hmm. And we sat and talked for like an hour about that kind of stuff and he was like and now part of that is whenever you ask to uh talk to players, they're like, "Well, you can't get like KD or Kyrie, but if you want mm -hmm. Garrett Temple, I will give you all the Garrett Temple you can handle." <laughs> and I'm like, "I actually really do." Uh, yeah. because it's a very specific thing and they were like perfect. And also every time every uh, team that I talked to to try to get a guy like that, Marvin Williams with the Hornets or right. you know different uh, players like that, they were like, "Oh, that guy is perfect and you're going like, to they'll call you early, they'll give you whatever time like uh, which great. which is part of the thing. Those yeah. guys stick around because they'll yes. do this stuff yes. professionally yes. every step of the way." Oh, so, it makes me like him. Yeah. Garrett Temple, what a great answer. You did that's more important. You did fantastic, Dan. How do you feel? I feel really good right now. Oh, this is great. We're crescendoing. The next credential is the cosine. It's to you, Dan. The floor is yours. Does the Jeff Van Gundy leg fight belong in the first bout Hall of Fame and why? I'm not going to lie to you. I was prepared to say no. Wow. And the reason was I'm sitting there and I'm like, Sean Kemp dunking on Alton Lister. Vince Carter dunking over Frederick Weiss. Like, yeah. these are legendary on-court moments of achievement by yes. players. Yes. Can I reasonably make the argument that Jeff Van Gundy clinging for dear life onto the leg of Alonzo <laughs> Mourning belongs in that category? Right. And then I said to myself, fuck that. Yes, <laughs> this belongs in the first ballot hall of fame. And the reason is because all of these kinds of things matter. The coaches matter. The personalities matter. You can't tell the story about franchises without the other pieces that are not just the players wow. on the court. You can't tell the story of how uh, uh, you know series and teams develop 
without the context of why a guy is not available for game five. You can't tell the story of why Jeff Van Gundy is a national broadcaster on ESPN and one of the main voices of the NBA without remembering that that's why he came to national prominence. You can't do, and we came at this, I think initially from a very similar point. I grew up in this business in the blog era, right? Where it's like, we're writing about the things that are funny. We're writing about the off court stuff. We're writing about personalities. I think representing those things in the hall of fame is a, is the way to properly tell the story of the sport. If a hall of fame is a museum, museums have lots of different kinds of exhibits. And I think this is the kind of exhibit. Imagine walking into a museum and there's just a giant cutout of Jeff Van Gundy clinging to a leg. <laughs> it's the kind of thing that I think you would want to you want to learn Ugh. the story about. And that is why I believe it, it, it merits enshrinement into the first ballot Hall of Fame. I'm devastated. I'm devastated. Dan, I th it's, the, it's time for the induction speech. That's me. It's my floor. I get to make the decision here. I'm going to take everything dance into account, but it's my decision. I'm devastated. The first, to me, this podcast and the first ballot Hall of Fame is something that I try to take as seriously as I possibly can so that the podcast means something, right? You got to, you, is this thing going to make it? Is it not going to make it? I was 100% prepared, prepared to say no to this moment. You just completely flipped that. You just completely flipped it. You've, you, this is like one of those things. And, you know, I mentioned earlier on previous episodes that maybe Trey Kirby and Sean O'Connor, by, by me having such a great time with them, swung my vote at the end. I don't give a shit. Great performances <laughs> have great results. Dan Devine just put on a, a 40 and 15 night, Shaq style <laughs> night here. He did a great job. And the thing that 100% uh, closes the casket on this thing, this thing is going in the first battle Hall of Fame, yeah. is you talking about walking yeah. into a real Hall of Fame. I want that to happen. Imagine someday this podcast gets big enough and we do an installation at a, 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 an all-star game and we have a, a real first battle Hall of Fame and you walk in and there's, fuck the cutout, imagine a sculpture of Jeff Van Gunny holding onto the bottom half of a leg. That needs to happen. This thing's going in the first battle hall of fame dan devine jeff gundy larry johnson alonzo Morning. congratulations you're in the first battle hall of fame you asked me before this segment how do i feel <laughs> and i told you i felt good and now neil i feel fucking great <laughs> dan devine everybody oh my god you nailed it how can people follow you? What what can you plug? Uh, well, for as long as it's a platform, uh, at Twitter.com, I'm your man, Divine. Uh, I am a national writer for uh, Yahoo Sports NBA, uh, sports.yahoo.com, Yahoo Sports. You can find all my stuff there. Uh, there will be at some point podcasting question mark oh, soon. So great. Uh, which uh, the, the more I talk to people like you who do this so well, the more uh, intimidated I am and excited I am for the prospect. But uh, yeah, your man divine on Twitter, Yahoo Sports. You can find me there. Neil, this has been an absolute delight. Thank you so much. I had so much fun doing it. My God, thank you for doing it. I really appreciate it. Uh, national writer. To have a national writer on this show? <laughs> Fantastic. No, I really appreciate it. And you were also great. It was lovely. Thank you so much for doing it, Dan. 
That's it. That's the show. My thanks to Mr. Dan Devine. That sort of sounds like a professional wrestling manager named Mr. Dan Devine, national NBA writer for Yahoo Sports. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks to Robbie Bobby Arucci for editing the show as always. Thanks to Jessica Singh for producing it. Thanks to Rhythm J for the beats. Follow him on social at Rhythm J. Please rate and review the show. I'd really appreciate it. And please come back next week for more First Bout. Fortunately for these guys, they are both awful fighters.